Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks again for joining us on Explore FI Canada. It's Money Mechanic with you from the lovely Vancouver Island, uh, locked in again, as many of us are. And Chrissy's joining me. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, I'm here from sunny Vancouver. It's lovely outside. Special episode today, Chrissy. Yes. We have our first ever international guest. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Very exciting. We have Jessica from The Pioneers. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Now, this is just, it was kind of, is it serendipitous? Is that the right word? You happened to be on Twitter at the same time I was, and you had originally scheduled a podcast interview for today, and that fell through. So I quickly jumped in there and said, it'd be fantastic to have you on the show talking about uh, your Slow Fi series and, and Coast Fi, which is, the listeners know, is something that I'm very interested in. So you've got a lot of interesting insight on that. So we're glad to have that discussion with you today. So for our listeners that may not have read your blog, which... I believe won a Blitz Award last year, didn't not? Uh, yeah, we won the best new personal finance blog. Yeah, so congrats on that. And if our listeners haven't read the Fioneers, uh, your blog yet, just give us a little brief intro of uh, who you are and what you talk about. Sure. Um, so I'm Jessica. I am one half of the Fioneers. Um, my husband and I started the blog together in 2018. Um, and the focus of our blog is that the journey to financial independence should be as remarkable as the destination. Um, so we sort of riffed off the idea of, of pioneers uh, or pioneers going on a journey. I would say that message has continued to evolve um, throughout our time, but I think it stayed in some ways pretty consistent. Like we believe now more than ever in the power of designing your life along the way um, to financial independence. Um, and so that's the message that we are trying to get out there um, every day. That's fantastic. And we will talk about the article where you write about designing your life before reaching FI. And one of the other things that you are very well known for, and I believe it was you and Corey who coined the term slow fi. And I'm not sure if that's true or not, but can you tell us more about slow fi? What is it and uh, how does it all play into the FI journey? Yes, absolutely. So we did actually coin the term slow fi. <laughs> I think the idea behind slow fi is we sort of originally started an interview series um, back about a year ago um, where we we got really interested in interviewing people who had like made unconventional decisions on their way to fi, slowing down to build better lives today. So there were examples of people who were doing like a nomadic year or deciding to quit a side hustle that was taking up a lot of their time or people who are deciding to go part-time at their job or work remotely or take a mini retirement um, or take a semi-retired approach to life, um, start their own companies, et cetera. There's so many people doing such interesting things. And so once we really got to know a lot of those people and really understand their stories, we found that there was a commonality amongst what they were trying to do and what we are trying to do, which is to build a life we love using the financial freedom we gain on the way to reaching financial independence. So it isn't, you know, I used to believe that 
financial freedom um, was really all or nothing. Like I was either fi or I wasn't. And now after really understanding the stories of so many people and seeing the way that our own journey has evolved, um, I really truly believe that you can grab hold of the financial freedom that you gain all along the way. Absolutely. And it, SlowFi really speaks to me and our FI journey. And it was the way we've been pursuing it all along. And I just didn't have a name for it. And I'm so, I was so happy when you, (laughs) when you coined that term, because it really spoke to me. And apparently to a lot of people, we don't identify with the getting to FI as fast as possible at any cost. You know, it's not the most sustainable or healthy way to approach it. Whereas when you think about SlowFi, it's, it's this mindset where, like you said, you are the journey to FI is just as important as reaching it. And I love that. I think it's it's a much better way to frame the whole journey. You know what, Chrissy, what's interesting is that the more I meet people like out in the world who aren't bloggers, this message resonates with them even more. Right. I think that sometimes we think that, you know, we see the famous bloggers and, you know, we see the people who are pursuing FI and making all of these sacrifices and they're going to reach FI by 30 or 35, which is great for them. But those kind of stories don't actually resonate with like the vast majority of the population who doesn't necessarily want to do that, Mm -hmm. right? I think most people want to have a better balance um, along along their path. Absolutely. Yeah, I really agree with that because you know, for a lot of us, when we found the financial independence sort of movement or when we started reading Mr. Money Mustache, it was that, it was that little bit of a switch, that epiphany. We're like, wow, this is something that I really want to work towards. So we really uh, focused all of our time and energy into just that sort of race to the end line. And I, I agree with what you're saying there. And it's interesting in your, in your SoFi series there, I read quite a few of them and you'd listen to, you know, whether it's Mad Scientist, he kind of talks about how quickly he got there and would have liked to slow down or stop darning shirts, same sort of thing. And and I feel that that's nice to hear that now because many of us that were on that sort of fast run can go, hey, we got some experience out there now and you know, I'm older, I'm in my 40s, so there's still a little bit of a rush for me, but <laughs> that's why I'm t- looking at more Coast Fi. But yeah, the whole slow Fi mentality for some people that are in their 30s, you get there when, in you know, say it's you're 35, all of a sudden, like, wow, I've got a whole lot of time left, and now I better figure out how to live my best life. Whereas um, people keeping this kind of slow mindset, slow Fi mindset at the beginning, uh, might just help that stretch it out, but make it, like you said, happier along the way. So you mm-hmm. kind of, it sounded like from what I was reading, you kind of started out with a little bit of a, a high pace approach to FI at the beginning too. How did that, how did your journey change over time? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I first learned about financial independence, we were sort of on that faster track to FI. So we were both working pretty high-paying full-time jobs um, and saving a good percentage of our income. Um, And then really, like, for me, I realized that, like, I was just miserable. And, like, this, you know, 10 more years of this was just not going to work for me. And so, you know, really had a, a shift in mindset really in the, like, the summer of 2018 you know, and, and we were listening to a lot of the people who've reached financial independence, as you said, who 
were urging people to slow down, right? They were saying, I went fast. I wouldn't recommend doing it the same way, right? And so when I read that, and then when I was like, well, I'm miserable right now. I need to change something. That was really a turning point for us um, and for me in particular in figuring out what would I do anyways if I like if I didn't actually need to work for an income, what would I really, really want to do with my time? Um, and I found that I couldn't actually answer that question. Um, and so I needed to do a lot of exploration um, and a lot of reflection to figure out it. And, and experimentation to figure out what it is that I really wanted to do. And one thing that struck me as well as I was going through that process was that many people who retire early end up doing work in some way, shape, or form after they're retired, right? Whether that's <laughs> actually going back to a job part-time or starting their own business or doing freelancing or consulting work, right? And there are even some people who end up making more money than what they did in their day job. I, I, don't, I certainly don't have aspirations like that necessarily. I, you know, it, it could happen though. But I was thinking like, why would I wait to reach Phi mm -hmm. if the thing that I figure out that I want to do might actually make me some money, right? Mm -hmm. And so over time, I figured that out and I figured out that I, I love writing, I love teaching, I love coaching people, and those are all things that I'm pursuing and seeing if they will generate some income along the way. And then if they do, great. At least I didn't wait until I was full fi to actually start pursuing those things. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking about in relation to the mindset of slow fi is I kind of feel like when, when people find fi and they sort of make that leap from their life before learning about financial independence to now their life of, you know, kind of going through those the major changes that we all go through, looking at how we can, you know, improve our housing, transportation, food budgets, and, you know, optimize our lifestyles. I kind of feel like there is a period of time where you need to really aggressively make some changes and make and set some aggressive saving targets. And perhaps you're already in a career that, you know, pays you well, or you can and get promotions. I feel like there's a little bit of a period that you need to like give a little bit of burst. And then once you kind of got everything going, that's when you can make an adjustment to that slower FI, you know, kind of mindset or the longer term trajectory. How do you feel about that? I know that a lot of people suffer stress and burnout at work, and that's definitely a good reason to take a look at uh, where you're going and what you're doing. But for me, I kind of felt there was a period where I needed to keep sort of crushing it a little bit. And now I can take a little bit of break, build up that little buffer at the beginning. What are your thoughts on that, Jessica? I would say yes and no. I think it, right. I think it's both, right? So yeah. for example, like I think some people think that if they are going to build a life of freedom, they need to go to school for something where they can be in a really lucrative career that they need to like earn top dollar for five years and live on $20,000 a year. And so that they can like, you know, reach a, a really high net worth by the time that they're like 25 or something like that. That's great. If people can do that, that's awesome. That would give them so much freedom later. 
for me, that that honestly wasn't my priority up front. So I went to school. I graduated with a degree in anthropology. I was planning to do international development work. Um, I ended up working in nonprofit organizations. I actually chose to do a, a sort of less lucrative career path because I knew that I would enjoy it more and, and know that I would feel good working for, for a mission. In my first, you know, in my first couple of years in nonprofit, did not make a lot of money. Um, in fact, I did a year of AmeriCorps, which is like the, do- the domestic version of, of the Peace Corps in the United States. Um, and I made $11,000 for the whole year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, which I guess in some ways, I think those experiences set me up for the like frugality side of financial independence because I needed to be frugal. I lived in a high cost of living area, right? My husband worked at a university at the time. I made $11,000 in AmeriCorps and like we didn't eat out for an entire year, right? And we kept those, we kept those sort of frugality, like those, the frugality that we, that we put into place like in, in, into our lives. And so when we did increase our income, we made sure to earmark a good portion of that to go towards savings. So yes and no. Yes, because we definitely needed first to sort of jumpstart our journey with the frugality. And then we increased our income. And then by the time that we were, you know, reached the age of 30, I was able to like scale back um, in, in the work that I was doing. So I, so there is, it is necessary to like get to a strong financial place before you can take a step back, whether that means you get to a point where you're debt free or you have a significant emergency fund. The reason why I say yes and no <laughs> yeah. is that I don't think you need to right out of the gate, go into the most lucrative career that you can. I think there's a way to balance that with something that you know you'll also enjoy. Yeah, I I see where you're going with that. And, and I definitely agree for people that are sort of perhaps in college or, or choosing where to, what direction to go for first careers and things like that. My perspective was different because I was later in life, I'd been in a career mm-hmm. already. And for me, from that point of view was continuing at a full speed pace made more sense for the first couple years of my FI journey um, mm-hmm. to to get that. And and we'll pivot the discussion here a little bit into the um, continuum of FI in a second here. But I felt that just sort of keeping going at full speed was going to sort of give me that little kickstart that I needed to then be able to design the life that I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, and I t- I've talked about this on another podcast where it's like you become a lot of us become distracted by FI. Like once you find it, you can't unsee everything that you're learning and you're really eager to embrace all the things, but you're kind of like, okay, I just got to stay buckled down for a little longer so then then I can make these changes. And I know it's going to be individual for everybody. It's just one of those things that there's no right or wrong answer in this movement. It's, it's mm-hmm. what fits your life. So speaking of that, you your great post here was why you should design your life before reaching financial independence. And you made a bit of a continuum chart that our listeners will be able to look at on the show notes here. And we really liked, Christian and I talked about this quite a bit when you brought it out, is like these little, these options or opportunities that each part of this continuum to FI gives you. Do you want to speak a little bit about what you designed there for the listeners? Sure. 
So the first thing that I would say is, as I was thinking about like financial freedom, like, right, as I said, I used to think that financial freedom was really all or nothing. Like I was either phi or I wasn't. Um, and I think through the my own experiences that I've had and through conversations with others, I've realized that there's actually sort of different levels mm-hmm. of financial freedom along the way. And each different level like provides you with different options. And so, you know, if I think about it, I think of, you know, sort of the stage, the the sort of first stage along the path to FI in this sense is, I would say, debt freedom. And you can define that however you want. It could be including a mortgage or not including a mortgage. I think for, for us, we still have a mortgage, but consider ourselves debt free besides that. Um, and the idea of why that is a sort of stepping stone is that once you become debt-free, then your cost of living decreases, which then means you might not have to make as much money to be able to cover your cost of living and still save. So that's the, that's the debt-freedom piece. I think the next piece is what I would call FU money. And basically, that means that you have enough ca- cash on hand in your liquid investments that would allow you to do one of two things. One, walk away from a toxic situation that isn't serving you. Or two, give you confidence to ask for or demand what you deserve. Mm -hmm. And FU money, the interesting thing about FU money is that it's not a specific number, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's how much, you know, it's how much money you need to have that confidence. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I read that in one of the articles there. You said it's a feeling, it's not a number. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was until, you know, for me, it wasn't really until this whole pandemic came about that I actually got the feeling that I did have some FU money because I chose, I said, I think I'd prefer to stay home than go away because I have a remote job. I would rather stay at home with my family and and help prevent the spread. And having that FU money gave me that power to say that. So it's totally mm-hmm. a feeling. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, I think I realized that the very first time in ab- about two years ago in the summer of 2018, when I was experiencing a health issue and I was experiencing a lot of stress at work and, you know, I was sort of faced with the choice of like, do I quit my job? Do I stick it out? Or do I like... Or, you know, or can I look at taking a leave of absence and going on disability and all of that? And it wasn't until I actually looked at the numbers and figured out what they meant, right? It was, it, before then, it sort of felt like, oh, we just have like monopoly money in our accounts. Like, I don't really <laughs> yeah. know what it means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I look at it. I know what the number is. But until I got to the moment where I was like, oh, this is the equivalent of nine months of expenses if we both lost our jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. And then realizing, oh, but we save about 50% of our income now. So really, we could just live off my husband's salary for the time being. So then we wouldn't even be pulling anything out of the, the emergency funds. Right. And so for me, it was that thought process that made me realize like, oh, yeah, I, I totally could just completely quit my job right now. I do not need to keep, you know, pushing myself through this miserable situation. Um, you know, I ultimately decided to collect disability insurance from my former company, but I could, I, I realized that I could have quit. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I think that is part of the value of FI. Even when you're not at the end goal, you already start to see benefits just from the mindset and also the financial stability it builds right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, So first you have debt freedom, second you have FU money, third um, is what I would call Coast FI. So basically Coast FI is when you have enough money invested in your investment, in, in sort of retirement accounts, that if you didn't touch it until retirement age, so if you didn't take any out, in, but if you didn't add any either, you would still have a comfortable retirement. Right. And we're wondering about how we should sort of make sure we define this well for our listeners, because I mm-hmm. agree with exactly what you just said there. But it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, because this is one of those ones where instead of just saying you need 25 times X, your expenses, you've got to look forward into the future and say, 65-year-old me, what's that 25X look mm-hmm. like? Yep. So yeah, tell us a bit more about how, you know, whether you've worked out your Coast Fi. I mean, I've been working on mine and there's a lot of assumptions. That's kind of the hard thing, I think, to wrap your head around this one is the assumptions that come with how you define your own Coast Fi. So how do you define yours? Yeah, great question. So I think that right there's a few things that go into the formula, right? It's like the age that you are right now, the age mm-hmm. that you would like to retire as well, right? And so it, that sort of is it defines the time horizon that you have to see gains um, in the market. And then you have like, what is the amount of money that you have right now that could grow to that amount if it, you know, continues to increase at, say, an average of 5% per year with the ups and downs. So you could say, okay, I'm 30 right now. I actually would want to traditionally retire or early retire at 50, right? Someone could say that. And then they could figure out what is the number that they need to be at right now then based on their their future expected expenses to be able to have a comfortable retirement at that point, right? There's just numbers that you put into an equation, And we actually have a tool on our website, a downloadable spreadsheet where people are able to actually put those different numbers in and, you know, different ideas and different options um, and play with scenarios about, okay, if I wanted to, you know, traditionally retire by 55 and I have this much and I'm this age and this will be my expected spending, you know, it'll tell you like this is the amount of money that you would actually need. Um, to be at that level. And it is, in some respects, it's it's surprisingly actually quite a bit lower than you might expect. Hmm. I'm letting you jump in, Chrissy. I've been not saying a lot. <laughs> <It's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I haven't had a chance to play around with your calculator, but it's something I think would be fun for people to just tinker around with. Is I think a lot of us would actually find that we're we're at Coast by or, or very close to it. So it doesn't necessarily take all that much if, if all you have to do is cover your own expenses and let your portfolio grow in the background. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially, in, right, in, it definitely depends most on your age and like what is the time horizon that you have. Mm-hmm. I think because once you get to the point where you are coast by, it's the market that's really doing the work for you mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, your 
you doing the work to put absolutely all the money in the yeah investments. and yeah. time as well which is mm-hmm. pretty precious that's the one magical part of the formula if you can just leave mm-hmm. it it'll grow a yeah. lot mm-hmm. so how about we move on to the next stage in the fi journey that mm-hmm. you've laid out here semi-retirement yeah so So I would say the distinction between Coast-Fi and semi-retirement, I would say, so is that Coast-Fi, you still need to cover your full costs of living Mm -hmm. so that you're able to leave your retirement savings untouched. Um, For semi-retirement, that's someone who is a, a little bit closer to Fi. So say, you know, they have a portfolio that they could sustainably draw down $30,000 or $40,000 a year um, without depleting the value. So, you know, at, that, at, that that's a 3.5 or 4% withdrawal rate. But then say their expenses are $45,000 a year, right? So say they can take, they could draw down 40,000. Then presumably they would only need to generate five to $10,000 of active income each year um, without depleting their portfolio. So this means they could sort of scale back work a lot, they could just do like fun side hustles or fun part-time jobs or just, you know, work very part-time on their own business to cover the the gap. For me, I love the idea of semi-retirement and I, I love the idea of saying, I'm just going to make money doing things I only want to do. And if I can figure out how to do that in a way that covers my full expenses, great. And if not, then I want to get to a point where I can start drawing down and then generating active income to cover the difference. Mm-hmm. So would you say that COSFI and semi-retirement are along the same continuum? They, the math is basically the same. You're just a little bit closer and needing a little bit less um, in semi-retirement because you're that much closer to your end goal. Oh, great question. So I would say in COSFI, you're not drawing down yet. Okay. So you're right. So you're coasting, you're keeping your retirement um, accounts the same and you're covering your full cost of living. Um, Whereas semi-retirement, you might actually start to draw down um, some of those assets. And then you're covering a portion, though, of your living expenses with active income. Got it. Does your mm-hmm. calculator have this in, <laughs> included yes, as well? Okay. Yes, 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 yes. The calculator. Fantastic. So the awesome <laughs> thing about the calculator that I love, um, my husband created it for me. I actually was like, I envision this. And he, <laughs> and then he, made he, it he makes it for me because I, you know, he's better in Excel than I am. And the great thing about it is that it'll tell you different milestones that you're at. So it'll tell you, great. Like, this is your Coast Fine number. And then after the Coast Fine number, it'll tell you how many, how much active income you still need to generate each year. Wow. So then it'll say your next, you know, your next milestone is it'll generate 30,000 a year or 20,000 a year or 10,000 a year or, or th- you know, if that, that's what you still need to generate. Um, and actually I have somebody who, um, a friend of mine in my, my local Choose FI group who, when I met her, she was like super gung-ho ready to, you know, push out, push things out for another year and a half, two years to reach full FI and then when I introduced her to this idea of semi-retirement, she put her numbers in the calculator and was like, wow, I, so I could quit now and just need to generate $5,000 a year. And I could do that huh. like walking dogs. <laughs> That's amazing. 
<laughs> yeah. So there, so now her and her partner are thinking about taking the leap a lot earlier and saying like, you know, they feel comfortable being able to say, Let, let's start building our post-fi life earlier, which is exciting. So something interesting that I've kind of just been noticing from this whole conversation that we've having, and I, I, it should have occurred to me before, but it's, it's all about the financial independence. We haven't really talked about the retire early part, mm-hmm. you know, as an essential part of this journey. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's an end, but it's not the, it's not what it's all about for many of us. So I, I just it occurred to me, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. And the more we focus on the positive life changes that every stage of five bring to us, the happier you'll be to, on the path, no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. It's, it, it, I actually say the like, the one thing you can't do until you reach full fi is to retire and never work again. Exactly. Yeah. Like that is the that is the only thing that you have to wait until full financial independence to do. Mm-hmm. Before then, you can scale back to work that to, to work that you enjoy. You can work part time. You can decide to become a nomadic, like a digital nomad or start your own company or take a year off or, you know, find a job you enjoy more. Like you can do all of those things at various different stages. Although I still hear many people saying like, oh yeah, I have the, all these passion projects and companies I want to start, but I'm going to wait until I reach five to do it. And I'm like, but why? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you focus on that because I think especially those of us who are new to the FI community, we really focus on getting there as soon as possible. It's just It just seems like that is the way most of us dive into it. We just go straight in and just want to get there quickly. But as you get into it and you realize how long it actually takes, mm-hmm. you realize it's not healthy to just keep go, 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 going that way. It It's just not the best for us mentally, emotionally, even physically. Uh, we, we need to slow it down and we need to really look at what will bring us happiness right now, not when we're retired. So let me ask you guys a question. So Money Mechanic, you talked a little bit about how you really like the Coast Fi approach. And Chrissy, it sounds like this approach also resonates with you. How have you incorporated financial freedom into your life before reaching Fi? So... For me, what it was, was that on my path, I'd been maintaining uh, a full work schedule. And I'm very lucky that my partner, my wife also has a full-time job. So, and we also don't have kids, but we're both busy. We're both away a lot. Um, we're, we've always been sort of very career focused. And I'm, I'm not going to say that I don't enjoy my career because I do, but it does come with a lot of stress involved in the job and it comes with a lot of travel. And, and those actually have you know, sort of positives and negatives. But the opportunity, once I started doing the numbers and as we moved along our journey to FI, I definitely started seeing that the amount of work we were putting into savings and that the market was starting to do its job. And it's definitely very motivating when you see compounding actually having a bit of an effect on your portfolio. And it was just that kind of moment of going, and doing a lot of reading, obviously, about every, everybody's different blogs and content creators. And I think that's an important part about being a content creator is you read and listen to a lot. But anyway, it was it was that the numbers were starting to speak for themselves. And I'm going, hey, you know what? Um, I'm in my early 40s, but even if we don't touch this money, by the time we're 65, it'll be a very good-looking portfolio by any standards in Canada. And so I thought, well, 
maybe I can start stepping back from my full-time role, continue my existing job, but have a little bit more say of when I go or for how long I go away for or, or how many shifts or schedules I do a year. And that will give me the time to start developing what it is that I want to do in my free time. So it was it was a point for me that we'd gotten, we, we hadn't realized we were coast by until I sort of run the numbers back. And they do come from a lot of assumptions of what the future is going to be. Mm-hmm. But also realizing that I liked what I did. I just didn't want to do it all the time. And then, you know, being a little bit further ahead than FU money sort of gave me that, the choice. It was the options of how I wanted to spend my time. Great. And for me, I, we started a slow fi lifestyle before we even found out about the FI journey um, or the community. The way we've done it is that we've chosen for me to stay at home full time to raise our kids. And it has put us behind financially quite a bit because we lose an entire income. But for us, it's been such a great choice because it's given us the lifestyle that we wanted where we don't have to rush around and um, you know tag team on the weekends and evenings with our kids. I can take care of most things during the day and in the afternoon before my husband comes home from work. Uh, we can get a lot done, uh, activities, homework, things like that, and uh, have the evenings and weekends generally free to do what we want to do. So even though that definitely hinders us in our FI journey, it's it's absolutely been worth it. It's given us a happier, fuller life, and we wouldn't change it for the world. And we've also made other lifestyle choices that are based on consciously choosing a slower path to allow us to have a happier life now. Uh, some of the things we've chosen is a lot more travel. We like to travel internationally with our kids, and that's expensive, but we choose to do that because we'll never get these years back with them. And my husband, he has an eye issue um, where he might lose complete vision in one eye. We don't know when. Uh, It may never happen, but he has lost at least um, half of his vision, if not more, in one eye. And so it pushed him to decide to get his new toy car. (laughs) Last year, he got a convertible (laughs) classic Mustang. And that was, again, another bump in the road to Phi, but it was something that was important to him. He wanted to be able to do that and drive that car before he lost too much vision and maybe felt unsafe to drive. So those are just some of the ways that we've consciously chosen to spend more or take a cut in income so that we could live a better life now and not have to wait till we're full Phi. That's great. One thing that I also see is that you know, I think for people who are on this more slow fi journey, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to wait until they're 65 to retire anyways, sort of at a retri- traditional retirement age. Um, so, for example, like I feel like we are definitely on the slow fi path because we're focused on the intentionality, right? I think the most important part of SlowFi is the intentional decisions Mm -hmm. to either make less or spend more to improve your life today. But at the same time, it doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you will retire any later than anyone else, if that makes sense. So we've actually found that because we're designing lives that we love, we don't need to do that convenience spending or that escape spending. And we don't, you know, we no longer have the mindset where we're like, oh, I deserve this fancy trip, vacation, dinner, toy, etc. 
right? Because I work so hard and my work life is miserable, right? <laughs> right? You're I feel so, like we've all so sort right. of had those, mm-hmm. right? And so for us, we've actually found that because we are focused on our priorities and because we have more time, we actually are spending so much less money than we did before we actually started down this path of designing our lives to the tune of like $17,000 less in the first year Wow! of just, you know, it it would be, it was things I would categorize as convenience and escape. Mm -hmm. So it would be takeout meals, right? Sort of convenient, more expensive groceries that we're going to take less time to cook because we were too tired. It was vacations. It was fancy dinners, you know, and, and we're not the kind of people that just spend mindlessly. Like we've never have been, you know, and looking around and comparing ourselves to the people who we were around, we were like, oh yeah, we're doing pretty good. And then realizing with minimal effort that we could spend $17,000 less just because we weren't miserable, felt like we deserved it, you know, needed to treat ourselves mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and needed to make life more livable. Um, it was just, it was pretty incredible to see that. Um, and so surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, I don't know, our FI timeline has actually stayed about the same as it was before we actually got on the slow FI path. Um, and so now we're, you know, sort of looking ahead and saying, great, we could actually make drastic changes more quickly than we thought. That's incredible. I love that you got that insight. And it's so true. You know, who, who would think that choosing to slow down and not earn as mu- much money and not work as hard would actually save you money and get you to the end goal faster? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And other people have seen that as well. So for example, I know Angela who writes um, at Tread Lightly Retire Early, she actually a couple years ago took a step back to work part-time as well and actually saw her savings rate dramatically increase even though she lost 20% of her income. Mm-hmm. Because it was saved in other parts of her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because of that intentionality, yeah. right? And that that because she felt like she was sort of like just hanging on right? when she was like going through with the full busyness of life. And I, you know, I can identify with that feeling as well. Yeah, a lot of people can identify with that, yeah. Yeah, and for sure, I know when I wrote a guest post for uh, Bob at talkhand.com about uh, the cost of being a stay-at-home parent. And we realized that, yes, it does cost some in the end. In the end, it's still a a net loss. But what we found was that a a stay-at-home parent does bring a lot of value to the family in the kinds of savings you can achieve because you're cooking at home more, you don't have Mm -hmm. childcare. And in our case, I can look after our finances and I DIY'd our investments for many years. And I I still continue to be very hands-on with our investments. So that's possibly tens of thousands a year that um, I bring to the family that I wouldn't have been able to if I worked full-time and was super stressed. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, you asked us what kind of lifestyle decisions we made to pursue a more slow-fi type of journey. What about you and Corey? What have you changed or how have you lived your life so that you can pursue things more slowly? We've made a number of different choices. So one, I would say that's probably the biggest choice is in um, 2019, I started working part-time. So I originally started working three days a week at a new job that I started last January. And 
originally we were thinking at some point I'd go up to four days a week. We were, you know, thinking about our five timeline and like, oh, four days a week would, you know, help us with that. And then we, I realized that I enjoyed the, the three day a week schedule so much that I have not increased hours and I don't plan to. Um, and I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to voluntarily work full time ever again. Um, and I, I hope that I, that I won't need to. There are a couple other things that we've, we've shifted. So one of them is around, you know, given that I have a lot more time now, um, I actually used a lot of that time to work on the blog. I'm building up my own business right now. Um, and those are things that I'm doing for fun um, on the side, sort of to build like, what would my post-fi life look like? And it's sort of, can I build enough income doing the things I would do anyways? to be able to make a transition to what my post-fi life would look like but earlier. Um, and so I'm, I'm definitely working on that right now in my free time as well. And then I think one other thing, you know, and, and this is sort of a little less tangible, is I think both of us, so my husband still is working, working full-time um, and he wants to, he's enjoying that. He, t- he could take a step back if he wanted to at this point as well. But we've both been really intentional about putting boundaries into place. So to like not work more than we need to and to say no when we feel like we can um, and when we, when we feel like someone is asking too much, um, particularly in, in a work setting. And then I know for myself, I'm, I'm feeling a lot more empowered to just take more time off. I think that's fantastic. You have really set up a situation where you and Corey can really enjoy your lives. You, you're so empowered <laughs> in so many aspects of your life, just simply because of the mindset shift. It's not so much that you've changed anything along your journey. It, it's a lot of it is the mindset shift. And I think that's a big part of um, the interview that we want to stress that slow fi is a mindset, uh, whereas things like coast-fi and semi-retirement, they are uh, milestones along the path. But slow-fi encompasses all that. It's it's how you approach the journey, uh, the entire journey from beginning to end. Yeah. And I think that's also a great point that you, you brought up there. And, and that's why you've written the article and why hopefully our listeners will jump over there and have a read. It's why you should design your life before reaching financial independence, because it'll give you that option as you move along the continuum to make different choices than you may have traditionally thought you would make simply just for rushing for the uh, exit sign. Remember, financial freedom isn't all or nothing. That's a good quote. I like that one. Mm-hmm. So Jessica, uh, we had a great time with you today. Uh, we could talk with you forever, but <laughs> we'll have to end the interview here. Can you let us know or let our, our audience know where they can find you and read more of your content? Absolutely. So you can find us on our blog. Um, it's thefineers.com. Um, and then we're on social. So on Twitter and Instagram at the Fioneers. Um, and then we also have a private Facebook community um, called Slow Fi Enthusiasts. And so if you were intrigued by what you heard about Slow Fi and want to be part of a community with other folks, who are focused on slow fi you can search for that in facebook or you can go to the slash fb i'm part of that group and there's lots of other canadians in there so if you're interested you should join it's it's a great place to be 
Yep. I'll be joining that. I didn't realize that even existed. So there you go. Well, it was absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jessica. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again because I agree with Chrissy. There's lots more that we can chat about on this. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. Till next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. One, leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Two, tell your friends and family about us. Three, Use our referral links at exploreficanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at exploreficanada.ca. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefi.com. Our music today was provided by Purple Planet.